0: The show starts now. The problem comes if those reps don't understand the effects of the drugs they're pushing. Listen to one former rep describe his first training session. I was in a room with 21 classmates and two trainers, and I was the only one with a science background. In fact, on the first day of training, I taught my class and my instructors the very basic process by which two brain cells communicate. So essentially, pharma reps are like the cast of Grey's Anatomy. They're young, they're hot, and they have virtually no medical training whatsoever.
1: Oh, that's funny. I'm not a fan of John Oliver, but that was that was funny. Anyway, welcome to the Kate Daly Show uh, th- a final hour on a Friday. Glad to have you listening and aboard. Make sure you support your local stations carrying the show, and you can get the link to the Kate Daly Show there. Also, you can go to katedalyradio.com, and you can email me at kate at katedalyradio.com. Uh, any questions about the show and those podcasts are done by the hour. You can grab those and listen to those uh, and share them, please, because this information needs to get out. I have the uh, great Dr. Daryl Enava on—he's probably one of the most renowned researchers and uh, and doctors on this topic of drugs, addiction. Of uh, we're, we're we're nailing everything. We're going to hope to anyway. He's laughing because we're heaping a lot of topics on him today. Um, but we'd like to cover uh, at least little bits of, of ADD medication or uh, the pharmaceuticals, also the history, the the cartels, and what that has done to the drug trade, and then also uh, a little bit on your your. Big drugs, cocaine, things like that, too. We covered marijuana in the last hour. Welcome to the show, Dr. Daryl Inaba. The book is Uppers and Downers and All-Arounders in the 8th edition. And so uh, congratulations on that. And people turn to you uh, for advice and for your research on these topics. And so we're happy to have you. And, if and, you know, I want to I kind of go into um, just a little bit about pharmaceuticals, since it seems to be a pretty big issue right now. And also uh, ADD for just a moment. I want to talk about Ritalin. We seem to be drugging the kids pretty early on. And I don't mean to be crass, but I say drugging the kids, but it just seems to me that we have an awfully big problem. All of a sudden, people are taking Ritalin like it's going out of style. We also have a lot of adults taking Ritalin. And so I wondered if you wanted to comment on that.
2: Yeah, it's been a common problem because the fact that, uh, as I mentioned, the gateway drug is any addictive substance that will prime the addictive pathway in the brain. And, of course, for a diagnosing ADHD at a very young age and putting people on uh, on stimulant drugs, uh, Concerta, Ritalin, um, uh you talk about uh, Adderall. Things like that for a long time. When they first uh, came out, uh, there's a lot of research saying that if we started uh, kids with true ADHD on those medications uh, at an early age, it actually worked the opposite. It actually protected them that they would not develop any kind of addictive processes. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that might be true or it might not be. The, the problem was most of the research was done by pharmaceutical companies, ah, which, uh, of course, it's a problem. had a vested interest in it. Sure, There's more research being done nowadays by universities, by Boston College and things like that, are showing that no, like all drugs of addiction, the earlier you start on any addictive substance, the more likely that you will later on develop a tendency to become addicted to that. Uh, the big problem with ADHD is we don't have a lot of good diagnostic uh, con- procedures for it. We we can medically diagnose, this, diagnose, it, diagnose it with uh, brain scans and with different processes, but that's rarely done. Most mm. of the diagnosis of ADHD in children and in adults is based upon just complaints within that person or observed behaviors. And when you get that going on, you get a whole bunch of other issues at, at bay. For instance, parents want their kids to do well in school, mm-hmm. and their kids aren't doing as well in school as they would want them to. And their first thought is, well, maybe if they were on some sort of stimulant, mm-hmm. like uh, methamphetamine, right. that sure helped me when I was going to school. <laughs> right. And, that, and they'll, they'll, they'll go doctor shopping. They'll go through doctor mm-hmm. after doctor until they finally find one that will be willing to prescribe the, this kid with Ritalin or with Adderall or something like that because mm-hmm. they say they have ADHD and once that happens, uh, they're, they're not showing that there is a greater tendency to develop addiction later on in life. Does so it, does it there's do a great it, concern that we should be having about these drugs.
1: Does it do anything to the brain as a youth? I mean, where are they going to find 10 years from now in, in what it's done? Because it has to have some effect, doesn't it? Using it that often? Sure it does.
2: I mean, the brain, is, the brain isn't fully developed, as you know, when you're born. It mm-hmm. develops slowly right after you're born and then uh, you go through waves of maturation, waves of connection, mm-hmm. and it takes the most executive part of the brain, the frontal cortex, really until you're 40 before it gets fully hardwired and at least until you're 25 before it becomes even functional. Okay. So if you expose yourself to things that are going to impact that area of the brain at an early age, you're going to be messing with that development of those areas. So that's okay. uh, there's a lot of work on that, a lot of concern, a lot of concern about marijuana because, of course, marijuana is uh, very much a preferred youth drug. Uh, more mm-hmm. young people will try that than other mm-hmm. drugs first. So okay. that's a big and, concern and about w- this recent thing of marijuana.
1: And what about opioids? Because this is obviously becoming a much bigger problem. And so is there a way to successfully get off of those? And also, um, you know, why do you think that this has happened where this is sort of ballooned out of control with, uh, <laughs> with this epidemic?
2: Well, there's first... To the latter part of your question, I think there's now recognized 250 states, counties, even Native American tribes who are suing Purdue Pharma mm. in the Sector family. And there was the uh, Rand Corporation study, L.A. Times, New Yorker magazine. There's a lot of studies showing that there was an actual conspiracy mm-hmm. by a pharmaceutical firm with the chemical called OxyContin mm-hmm. to actually create create an epidemic. They manipulated uh, various medical societies, various patient groups, they manipulated, uh, magazines and stuff like that to make pain the, the fifth vital signs and to, uh, actually sanction doctors or have us, uh, criticize doctors who weren't using enough of their painkillers and they actually conspired to create an addictive process in America. Uh, which is kind of unusual because they sort of created it and they're being sued for it. But mm-hmm. with the passage of our re- resolutions to try and do something about the opiate epidemic, they're talking more about putting most of that money towards something called medication-assisted treatment or in monies into pharmaceutical firms to develop medical treatments to help deal with this epidemic. So the same people who created the epidemic is now also getting more money. Mm-hmm. To deal with it or try and find some solutions to it, which is probably the American way, anyway. But it, it's just a sad statement. Is so, is opiate? Uh,
1: opi- mm-hmm. Go ahead, go ahead. How do you opiates, get off of
2: them? You 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 get off of them. You mm-hmm. you. It's like treating addiction to alcohol, nicotine, cocaine, or any other drug. You have to realize the people who have this addiction realize that 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 they have a medical condition not unlike somebody who has diabetes, not unlike somebody who has epilepsy. And for them, they cannot control their use of this substance, not because they're weak or they have poor choices, but mainly because their biology is different. Mm -hmm. So for them, they have to medically first get detoxified because they're going to go through withdrawal, Mm -hmm. very painful state. Sometimes it's very debilitating, and people uh, go back to using right away because they hate being in withdrawal. But we can treat that medically so that they don't have uh, too many severe symptoms. And then we go through abstinence phases in which they have to learn that there is a conspiracy. The brain is going to go through craving, there's going to be these strong desires to go pick up and use again and they're actually we can actually see it on a brain scan and see it on EEG and see it on different biological sensors to know when they're craving Mm -hmm. and there are more and more treatments being developed for that process of treatment as well as a classical just a counseling and understanding it and learning how to deal with what, what, your
1: cravings. Would you would you say it has a stronger pull towards being a gateway drug into something more serious than because from what I'm seeing I'm seeing a lot of people that go from opioids uh, opioids to heroin. I mean, you know, and meth and and all of these right. things too. What, what's your take what's your take? Well,
2: yeah, yeah, it's a gateway drug like any other addictive drug is a gateway, but it has the other problem and then it causes a much stronger physical Mm-hmm. tissue dependence or a physical addiction with severe withdrawal symptoms. So once you get physically addicted and doesn't care if it's on Oxycontin, fentanyl, heroin, methadone, mm-hmm. fentanyl, or whatever opiate it is, once you have physically addicted, then you're going to go into withdrawal or going to be actually physiologically sick when you're mm-hmm. trying to get off the drug, which requires some sort of medical intervention. When that happens, usually what's been happening in America is doctors, once they get a patient to take a lot of these or give them a lot of these because they were saying they weren't giving enough for pain, and then they recognize, my God, my patient's an addict, mm-hmm. the doctors often kick them out of treatment. Well, when that patient is kicked out of treatment and no longer has access to their opiates, what are they going to do? Yeah, yeah. Anything they can to continue their addiction, which means they're going to turn to whichever is available, and they turn to opana, they turn to... And Exia d there's so many codeine, there's so many opiates out there that they can go through. But once their name is in the system, and they can't get access to that. They're ultimately turned to heroin, mm-hmm. which is illegal. And now the heroin is a new form of heroin called fentanyl, which is a synthetic opiate drug that's actually up to 100 to 10,000 times stronger than yeah. heroin, and probably responsible for most of the deaths that we're seeing. It's actually a rhinoceros or elephant tranquilizer oh my uh, god the street is being wow. exposed to nowadays
1: wow dave has a question for you um go ahead
0: can sure. you address the effectiveness then of a of a I, ibogaine is what that is the way called? you pronounce it ibogaine
1: yeah okay. and
0: and ibogaine perhaps, yeah ibogaine, and, yeah and
2: kratom mm-hmm. yeah two things in the opiate field that are interesting one is ibogaine which is a east african shrub And it's been used by the natives of East Africa, I mean West Africa, actually, for many, many centuries as a way of uh, preparing them for hunting as a visionary substance to uh, see their... Uh, relatives and in, in dead relatives, things like that. You know, it's a very spiritual type of drug, uh, a drug that, in which it can induce a sort of catatonic effect. But long ago, a heroin addict trying to get away from the streets of New York went to Africa, got turned on to it, and felt that after he had taken it and had one session with it, he no longer had any future cravings for not just al- not just heroin, but for, uh, for alcohol and any other drugs. So that... It's established a name, but when we first started using it in the United States and, and doing research on it, we didn't know how much to give or how much the Natives used, and actually some people died on it. And so it's been banned as a Schedule One drug ever since. I mean, it's, it's totally illegal. It's not to be prescribed or used in the United States uh, because it has such uh, bad side effects and that toxic effects. Still, there is a fan base. There are people who use it, who feel they had tremendous effects for it, who feel mm-hmm. that it's effective, and there have uh, spread up sort of myths and great techniques around it. De- Deborah Marsh in uh, Miami mm-hmm. has a clinic. It's illegal to be done in the United States, but she works you up in your clinic, and if you're rich enough, then you fly to St. Kitts Island, where she has her wow. um, her clinic set up, and mm-hmm. you, you get the ibogaine treatment there, and uh, you... you you get off your heroin, you take a, a trip on it, and suppose you no longer desire, you no longer have craving. I've had clients who try that out. Were so frustrated trying to get clean, they finally tried it. And I, I right now, there's, I don't see a lot of scientific studies, and I certainly don't have one. Mm-hmm. But from the people I know who've tried it, it's been about 50% effective, like most other things. Some people it worked for them. They weren't interested in any more drugs afterward. They stayed clean and sober since. Mm-hmm. It really worked. The other 50% went right back to using or drinking or whatever they went there for. So okay. it doesn't work. Now in Mexico, there are clinics and there's ibogaine plants uh, here. Although it's a Schedule One drug, you can find plants in certain uh, nurseries mm-hmm. and things in the United States. And I've had even in Oregon, uh, kids here who have Turned onto and tried to get off their heroin and actually uh, died from overdoses on it. So it's uh-huh. not a. Uh, so you have to be yeah, careful. It's not yeah. a,
1: an end all be all drug where careful, it's the answer. Right. We'll be right back. More yeah. with Dr. Daryl and Alba when we come back. A little on the cartels, a uh, little history, and also um, he said something very interesting that I want to point out coming back as far as treatment goes. We'll be right back with Daryl and Alba.
2: St. George Otto Gallery in St. George Otto Hey guys, Jared here from St. George Auto, and I continually get asked what makes us different and what's our secret to selling so many cars each month. The truth is, there's nothing secretive about it. We have a simple formula that really works. It starts with our inventory. We have a full-time buyer who travels to several auctions to ensure I get the cleanest pre-owned cars on the market. He spends countless hours driving and inspecting vehicles before he even bids on them. Thanks to his efforts, it makes it so easy for me to be competitive on my pricing, which allows you to get a great deal. The quality of my vehicles is why I'm able to offer that free warranty that really takes the stress out of buying a car. Then to top it all off, I have the greatest sales team in the industry. Their experience and hard work ensures you get the best rate possible. So if you're in the market for a car, come see us at St. George Auto on 700 South. You won't be disappointed. And that's the truth. Visit stgautodeals.com
0: Has your heating and AC system struggled and you've wondered, when is the best time to upgrade that old system? Now is a great time during the milder season where you probably aren't using your system as much and the guys at Air Care Professionals have more time available. Plus, great specials get up to $900 off a new system and 0% equipment financing options OAC. Air Care Professionals and Bryant are doing whatever it takes to earn your business. Call Air Care Professionals today, 628-2423 or online at aircarepros.com.
2: Balance of Nature's Fruits and Veggies. I'm Mark Gastineau. I played in the NFL for 10 years. I was diagnosed with CTE, with
0: dementia, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. The fruits and vegetables that we take from Balance of Nature is the best thing that we could ever do. And I'm calling in now to order extra because of my wife has been taking mine because she sees a difference in me. It is a wonderful thing that Balance of Nature is doing. I hear the testimonies on the radio, but I'm a testimony for myself. And the fruits and vegetables, if I don't take them every single day, my day is not going to go the same. So God bless you.
1: Hi, this is Jan Broberg, and I want to invite you to enjoy the...
0: Mondays and Tuesdays at 5 p.m. for the BP 50 KZNU. Talk lines are open now.
2: Call...
1: Somebody calls you, you answer quite slowly. A girl with collabs. There's no question as to who was doing the drugs in the 60s. Anyway, <laughs> I would say definitely the Beatles. Uh, I would go with the Beatles. Anyway, uh, welcome back. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Looks awfully personal referency to me, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome back to the uh, Kate Daly Show. Uh, Kate Daly at your service. I've got uh, Investigator Dave, and also we are interviewing uh, Dr. Daryl Anaba on all things addiction, drugs, you name it. We're talking about it. The book is Uppers and Downers and All-Arounders. You've got to check that out because it's the like the textbook on all of this. And I invited uh, Dr. Anaba on to talk about all the latest research. And so you had a quick question about Kratom.
0: I, I, I do. Uh, several months ago, we did a little segment on mm-hmm. Kratom. Mm-hmm. When it was really popular, right. when the government was trying to suppress it. So what? What's your take? What's what's your take on kratom?
2: Kratom is an Indonesian shrub that's been used in that part of the world for a long, long time, and it's a, it's a very amazing uh, substance. Uh, it's from the coffee family, but. At low doses, if you uh, chew on the leaves or make a tea out of the leaves, at low doses it actually works as a mild stimulant. But as you get more uh, concentrated doses and you do the extracts that are sold in the head shops and places like that, it becomes uh, an opiate. Mm -hmm. And just last week the uh, FDA um, re Classified kratom as an as an opiate, even though its chemical structure doesn't even look like an opiate. That's and kratom uh, has opiate like effects that are as strong, or sometimes even stronger than Vicodin. So it's how you, you know, mm-hmm. what your concerns about Bicodan as addictive substances. That's, that should have the same concerns about. Okay kratom. Now, with uh, in, in, in with regards to addiction field, many clients have, I know, have turned to kratom to help detoxify themselves from opiates, and some have been successful, mm-hmm. but others have actually co- it, it caused them to relapse, caused them to have more craving from it. So like all things, it's not 100%. It can have mm-hmm. some good effects, some side effects, but it's all in how it's uh, used and prescribed. Now, for most of the country, uh, there are some states that made it illegal, but most of the country, it's a, a legal. still a legal thing. There's no okay. laws that prohibit it and use it. There had been no drug tests where you can identify it in, in the urines of people in treatment or in drug courts or things like that, but mm-hmm. since more and more people are abusing it, most uh, chemical labs have developed a uh, testing for it. They call it an analyte. Mm-hmm. So it can be tested the most, but it costs extra to get it tested. Right. Okay. So it's become a, a new drug or a drug that's recognized as, as being more abusable. There is movements uh, to make it illegal. Uh, some people are moving to try and keep it off, uh, not from being illegal and uh, it's like, I think, all the things we, okay. we have to go through, a whole process before we decide
1: oh, what we're going to sure. do about it. In fact, you, you said something very interesting mm-hmm. in the last segment, and I think that really needs to be said again, is that you put this in a biological uh, category. Um, instead of just being weak or making poor choices, which a lot of people will look at drug addicts like, but this is absolutely biological, like a diabetes. You know, would we say, well, we don't care that you have diabetes, it's a poor choice that, you know, so if you want to uh, explain that, I, I think that that's worthy of another mention because that's interesting to me yeah
2: yes the addiction equity act we were able to show uh, to everybody's you know to uh, convince everybody that addiction is a biological process that there's predisposition there's genetics there's all kinds of things involved with it and a person doesn't choose to be an addict they have a uh predisposure or they have a predisposition uh, mm-hmm. to becoming an addict. And when they become an addict, it actually hijacks their uh, mm-hmm. their choice. It's, it's, a, it's a disease of choice. It, it steals your ability to choose and what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And like with all conditions, uh, like diabetes, once you learn that you have that condition, you sort of then have a choice. You can continue to live the life you're living continue to eat unhealthy, continue to do all the things you're supposed to do that you've been doing and end your life very quickly with horrendous consequences. Uh, Diabetics who don't take care of their health will get parts of their body amputated Mm -hmm. and they'll die much earlier than they should have. Or, If you accept that you do have a medical condition and then you avail yourself to the best health treatment you can get, what happens is diabetics actually live longer and are healthier than non-diabetics because they're monitoring what they eat, they're monitoring Mm -hmm. their exercise, they're living their lives correctly, and they end up very healthy. So that's where that choice thing comes in. But addiction, as the Addiction Equity Act uh, was passed in 2008, set up that precedent and Mm -hmm. made it uh, addiction a true medical illness. The problem was it's never been enforced and it continues to not be enforced, which is a problem. Mm -hmm. But insurance companies are not supposed to be, uh, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. treating addicts any different than they would treat a diabetic and providing treatment for them. But... Uh, We don't have all the insurance companies doing that yet. So there's a lot of suits going on trying to make them do that. But addiction is a, there's no question it's it's a true medical condition, but it's a very treatable and manageable condition.
1: So that brings us, of course, to talking about the criminalization of it um, and what we do with addicts and then also the cartels because, uh, and and what we've done and, and what that's, perpetuated in, in making it illegal all of these years, too. And so let's, if you want to address that, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, you know, the, the, there's some models we can talk about, maybe we'll get to. Portugal has decriminalized drugs, and they have an interesting model. But basically, drugs and cartels and war and crime and all that have been married at since the beginning. Uh, there's actually a book called... Not the war on drugs, but the war and drugs, or drugs in the war. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Meaning that every, from, the, from our, a revolution to our civil wars to every war american has fought has been fought with either for drugs controlling drugs or being funded by drug money and i think that that's true and it goes all the way back so drugs in war and drugs in, in society go way back and have a continuum now in that uh, drugs are always going to make money they are going to raise profit for somebody it depends on who, you, what side of the law you're on, I guess, and who it makes money for. Mm-hmm. But we do have a problem in a vested interest of trying to continue profits or continue making that available at the cost of people who are actually the worst cost is on the people who are going to be addicted. Mm-hmm. They pay the ultimate penalty. You know, they right. they fund the whole thing and then they pay the, <laughs> the horrendous life processes involved with that. Instead of Putting our monies on the, on our current war on drugs, as every president has done since uh, mm-hmm. President Nixon started establishing the war on drugs into interdiction and in trying to keep drugs off the street, which has been an abysmal failure, no matter right. who wants to evaluate it. It's been an abysmal failure. The more money we spend on trying to prevent drugs from hitting the street, the more drugs hit the street.
1: Well, then, whenever they put so, the word war on something, it grows. War on cancer, it grows. War on drugs, it grows. <laughs> that's interesting. Right. Maybe yeah. that's part of it,
2: too. Yeah. But, the the issue is treatment of addiction mm-hmm. and even prevention does have tremendous value. So every nine, ten dollars we get to fight the war on drugs in which seven or eight dollars go into interdiction and the supply side of the equation, keep drugs off the street mm-hmm. been total fair and only two dollars or so go to the most effective thing we can do and that's provide more treatment. Let's provide more and better treatment to those people so that we can reduce the demand for drugs mm-hmm. in our society. And I think that's where we're missing the boat, and I think that's where we have a lot of promises as this whole new understanding of the disease of addiction has stimulated a whole new development in medicine, right. uh, where medicine is now actively developing medications to treat addiction. Actually, more medications now in developed to treat addiction than there is to treat any other medical condition, mm-hmm. which means that we can more effectively uh, get on top of this and, and finally get some leeway or start winning some of these problems we're having with drugs.
1: Yeah, Can acupuncture, can things like that block the addictive pathways? Yes. You know, really?
2: acupuncture, We I did research on that way back in the 1970s and mm-hmm. so forth, and more and more acupuncture. The FDA just approved in November last year a device called the bridge device It's an electrical device that you sort of have forward leads onto electrical leads and a little battery that I, mm-hmm. uh, plug behind your ear, and it stimulates acupuncture points that we were stimulating way back in the 1970s, which will prevent craving and prevent the uh, withdrawal symptoms from uh, happening. So for the FDA to approve something, it takes a lot. It takes, you know, right. oftentimes 17 years of research. It costs of two or $300 million. So it's not easy to get something approved. And since that's fully approved, they, there's enough science to show that that's effective. On the cusp of that, there's a whole bunch of things being developed. There's sort of magnetic uh, pulsing of the brain to treat addiction. There's optogenetics. There's, they're already inserting into uh, addicted mice and addicted rats inserting fiber optics and shining different lights at different places on the mm-hmm. brain to keep them from craving drugs uh, and and wanting drugs like that. There are deep brain stimulations. There are a whole bunch of devices. As Now we know where the process of addiction is and what the anatomy is. There's a lot of development into treating and helping people who develop this condition to get off drugs. Your original question was, how, are we handling it correctly? Mm-hmm. No. I mean, it, it right. costs us more money. Right. To pe- put people in jail and to deal with them in jail than it would be to treat them. I mean, it's a minuscule amount of money that's spent when you compare treatment to incarceration. Right. When we incarcerate somebody, you're talking thirty or $40,000 a year to, mm-hmm. just for custodial care. That person, if they're suicidal or depressed, they're going to cost their... Society's one hundred fifty thousand. Not to mention turning them into
1: criminals. I mean, we're you know they're they're around a criminal base for thirty years. They get worse. Yeah, they get worse. worse.
0: Then you're up against the incarceration. Put them in. Yeah. You're up against yeah, the incarceration in, industry.
1: Mm-hmm,
2: yeah. We, we put them in treatment for about five or $6,000 for outpatient treatment a year, and they mm-hmm. do a lot better than they do in, in, in jail. So out of that came a mantra that we got Governor Brown when I was in San Francisco to do treatment on demand, mm-hmm. which we showed that if we would instead of putting people in jail for addiction if we provided them immediate access mm-hmm. immediate access to treatment we could save our county a lot more money right. than we we're spending on addiction and so we did that for a while and then new mayor different thing now uh actually many cities are following that and they're actually doing it with their with their police departments police mm. departments now in Chicago I think Boston you can go in Mm-hmm. and, you know, say you've had it, you want to quit your addiction, they don't arrest you for possession, they don't. They can take your drugs and get rid of it, and they put you immediately in treatment, because they've discovered how much cheaper that is well, yeah. than putting you in jail and how much more effective that is. is this, aren't they so that's doing what that we need you, to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Aren't they doing that in Eugene, Oregon? I talked to somebody uh, over there.
2: Right. Yeah, they might be. I, I, they're, it's something that, that we're they're testing that all over because it worked before and we just got to get back into understanding how to deal with addiction much more effectively. And I think Dave, I'm sorry, you didn't address your, uh, your, did I address your kratom issue? Yep, we did. Yeah, you addressed kratom. Okay. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we're, okay. we're going to talk,
1: too, about the future and about uh, Chinese medicine, all kinds of things. Because I know for for me and my family, um, we're starting to look at more holistic things than just going in for a script. And, and a script. And I, I think a lot of people are starting to do that. It's becoming a little bit more mainstream to do that. And I'd love to get your take on that, too. I mean, Chinese medicine, all, all kinds. Of, I mean, they've, they've been doing that for a very long time, haven't they? And so there's some wisdom in some of these things that we don't have as mainstream stream here
2: well the problem is we still don't know what it does i mean Mm -hmm. it they've been doing it as you said before christ was born at least a thousand years before christ was born they had these acupuncture maps Mm -hmm. uh, made up of anywhere from 12 to 24 meridians uh, along the body that restored the basic balance in the body of which you had these points for the lung points for the Mm -hmm. eye points for the ear things like that And one of the things we discovered when I was working on this at the Haight-Ashbury during the 1970s was we discovered that those acupuncture points that are on a map, mapped out thousands of years ago, correspond to uh, high electroconductivity in the body. And they didn't even understand electricity really? back in those days, but yeah. there's superconductivity points, so you don't even have to be a trained acupuncturist. You just have to have a little flashlight battery attached through a little signifier and run it all over the body, and every place that place lights up, it's gonna, and you put a right. pen mark on it. Tell me about After that. After snapping out <laughs> the whole body, right. what it becomes is it matches the acupuncture. You know, uh, maps that they've mapped out thousands of years ago. So something's happening there. We don't but, know
1: exactly happening. We're going to come right back more with but, Daryl Anaba when we come back. Uh, Doctor Anaba's book, Uppers, Downers, and All Arounders. We'll be right back with uh, Investigator Dave and myself on Kate Daly the Kate Daly Show, located at the scenic Town Square in historic downtown St. George. For and so that that famous song by Eric Clapton. Welcome back to the Kate Daly Show. Glad to have you aboard. You can go to Kate Daly Radio today for uh, the podcasts. We'll put those up and uh, share those with family and friends. Uh, Having Dr. Anaba here is a treat, and I I so appreciate him coming on the show. Boy, two hours goes fast, does it not, Dr. Anaba? (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> wow, it's really cool. Right? I'm, I'm amazed.
1: I know yep, it's, it does. It's crazy. I've got Investigator Dave here too, and I wanted to talk. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to ask you. One is, I, I want to know what you feel that people need to know. If you had 10 minutes in the room with somebody, I want to know what you would let them know that that we haven't been able to absorb yet as a culture that we oh. need to understand, and also the future. Uh, the future of uh, you know looking at all these other cultures and what they've done, what we're doing um, seems to seems to really kind of jump the shark on on a, what. A lot of other cultures have done successfully and what does the future look like for uh addiction and for um pharmaceuticals i mean we're getting hit left and right with more and more pharmaceuticals from these pharma companies and and like i said again you know not even acupuncture but just chinese medicine herbs and and all kinds of holistic medicine too what's your take
2: yep well i Well, I'm not sure where you want me (laughs) to start on that. I think in terms of the future of of, uh, or what people have to know, Mm -hmm. and maybe I'll start there, is what I would like people to know and finally come to grips and understanding is that addiction is a true medical condition. It's not a matter of the stigma that Mm -hmm. everybody has in their head that these are weak, bad, stupid, crazy, immoral people that, in fact, uh, it's the opposite. People who are prone to addiction are amongst our most intelligent. They're the most creative. They have great leadership skills. They have charisma. They have great attributes, but it comes at the cost that they have this vulnerability to become addicted to drugs and alcohol. For the addicts themselves, they have the same lesson to learn. They have to get rid of the stigma that they bought into, that they're bad or they're, they're just pleasure seekers, that they actually have a medical condition mm-hmm. that's treatable. It's treatable right. and preventable, and it's actually one of the most treatable conditions we've addressed in medicine. And if they participate in treatment, they can be some of the most valued people that mm-hmm. we have in society. So that that's a big quest because although uh, we have it by law, people don't even know about the law. Right. People don't even talk mm-hmm. about the law. We continue to look at addiction as being a a moral weakness or a stigmatized issue, and that needs to be changed, and that's what I want people to know. So that's that's part of it uh, in terms of of where we're going. Uh, Where we're going is a huge medication-assisted treatment or medicalization of addiction. Now we know the pathway, we know the biology, we know the chemistry, Mm -hmm. and doctors are able to become certified addictionologists. Okay. meaning you become an md first and then you become a, a surgeon or you become a pathologist or you become a uh, oncologist with cancer specializing cancer or nephrology kidneys or heart disease or whatever now doctors are finally being taught addiction and they're able to specialize as addictionologists or treat addiction and become board certified in that, so we're headed for a whole new dimension in treatment and It's my hope that this is going to lead us to much greater interventions and much greater success right now we can only at best uh if you complete a treatment program in the United States uh and you actually get a certificate of completion Mm -hmm. or something like that, we can only hope that you're going to stay clean uh, for about 50% of them for about a year or so. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's not good, right? Right. sounds terrible, but basically when you compare that to how many people we maintain in treatment when we treat diabetes for the first time or we treat... asthma or we treat uh, panic disorder, where it actually compares well with treating other medical conditions. But we need to increase that. We're increasing that through a lot of medical advances. And maybe some of these things like the inserting stimulants in the brain, a pacemaker Mm -hmm. in the brain might help. They're actually doing genetic research uh, with uh, animals and we, we can edit genes now, and they're editing normie genes or non-addict genes into mice who are uh, are genetically prone to addiction and, and curing them from ever wanting to seek out drugs again. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, of directions in treatment, and I'm just hoping we'd come out with much more better treatments than we've had in the past mm-hmm. to get people who have great, uh, great, Skills and great benefits to start out with a better chance of having uh, you know a lifestyle they can uh, maintain without having to be addicted to drugs so that's that's my hope and I believe we are moving in that direction
1: absolutely yeah I, that would be great yeah, that would be great and and you know as as people are are putting more and more children on all these drugs early on i mean we really need to figure out what that's doing to us i mean we, we are a drug culture i mean everybody's got a huge medicine cabinet at their house and yeah. so that's a that's a definite problem
0: to me it starts about six months with the uh, right the aluminum and mercury in the vaccines
2: Could, it to, could be, to a developing yeah. brain yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and that's interesting yeah that yeah. that's never been adequately looked at either dave you're right
1: Okay, and then uh, and then also on um, well, just on a myriad of issues. I mean, I, I think that we are um, we're, we're kind of a drug society. It's become sort of a you know that that's the go-to is is maybe an escape route. I don't know, but I know that we are um, we're looking at a lot of. Things changing culturally, like uh, recreational marijuana um, being recreational and being, uh, you know, and I believe in freedom. Yet there are some dangers there that we probably should reiterate uh, for a moment. And that is that that you that you might not know what you're getting. And so, as much as I know what I'm getting with alcohol, I mean, there's not there's, there's not too much variable there. But with marijuana, there is, and there there is a cause for concern for that. And so you were commenting on that, and I'm glad you did, Dave.
0: Is it possible that they can? be developed a standardized um Mm -hmm. prescription or what is it conclusion on the effects of how much marijuana affects this this and this like you say it's been wide open they -hmm. can pretty much put anything they want on the labels there's been no real lab exams but but so people can like alcohol know that hey i can take one glass of alcohol or i can Mm -hmm. take one puff Mm -hmm. of this or whatever it is
2: Well, we tried to get that together for the government at the University of California, was Dr. Reese Jones Laboratories in the 1960s and 70s, mm-hmm. and the problem was that there's so many different chemicals in marijuana that you know was so difficult. So what we did is we even use uh, synthetic THC to try and control for the chemicals, but the problem we found with that was that when we gave synthetic THC to people, Mm -hmm. everybody's genetics and body metabolized it to different chemicals itself, so Mm -hmm. it was very difficult to quantify, but still we came out with a a sort of a logarithm that says that uh, less than Less than five milligrams of THC was considered a low dose marijuana that had minute less impact on mm-hmm. your behavior and on your reflexes and things. Then did a dose, an average dose of about seven, uh, ten mm-hmm. milligrams, uh, seven to ten milligrams or right. so, and that a very high dose would be a, 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 around 20 milligrams. And the real issue right now is that uh, that's there's no marijuana out there that's going to give you that low a dose. You smoke a joint that. 500 milligram joint is contains 75 milligrams of THC, mm-hmm. so it's much stronger now. So uh, that that uh, is a difficult thing to follow, but there are research being done on how it affects uh, your driving ability. There's Milovich, mm-hmm. I think he's in Iowa, who's studying it, and unfortunately, he's found that even low doses of marijuana impact uh, your driving ability, your ability to mm-hmm. stay in lanes correctly, and and your ability to respond and have reflexes and uh, such situations that make it dangerous for you to smoke and drive. And right Mm -hmm. now in Colorado, Oregon, and other states that legalize it, Mm -hmm. marijuana has become the number one drug in fatal car accidents. It's the number one drug found in fatal Mm -hmm. car accidents. So we legalize it, but we forget to pay for the, you know, Mm -hmm. cover the other consequences that's going to come with it. The unintended consequences of legalization.
1: Yeah, and and the research with medical oil, I've always been a proponent of that because I think if 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 something's happening with you medically, you should be able to get what you want to be able to solve that problem. Um, And so you're saying that there's some great research on that and that also um, that we need to uh, probably really look at that because of all the benefits. I mean, I know that I've had people on the show with huge benefits uh, after taking the oil and wouldn't take anything else and wish they hadn't even tried pharma Uh, so what's your take on that yeah
2: Yeah. I agree with you that there are great benefits but the problem is is the opposite we Mm -hmm. we don't have a lot of research in in this country and this country doesn't seem to honor researchers of other countries as much as Mm -hmm. uh, some other countries do Mm -hmm. but but we don't have a lot of research in this country because of the fact that marijuana remains a schedule one illegal substance in in all aspects of it. And that I think that's an error. We need to re look at that and rechange it. We need to look at actual potential viable marijuana uh, medical applications for marijuana mm-hmm. and change processes where we're allowed to look at CBD and we're allowed to look at the oils and we're allowed to look at those things much easier than all the rigmarole that goes through this whole process that prevents it from being uh, allowed for medical research. And that's that's a difficulty because it's the way the government feels right now. Marijuana is marijuana. They don't care if it's mm-hmm. CBD, THC, CBDN, or anything. Okay. And that's what needs to be looked at and relaxed uh, in order to move ahead on that front okay
1: and so in some people it can trigger because of their biological nature their dna so at a cellular level really i mean they could really affect them other people maybe not so much but uh but you're saying also that smoking it all day i mean that's that's where your heavy addiction is going to be right in people that are taking it in all the time correct but that reacts differently
2: the more you take and the more often you take it the more likely you're going to have Mm-hmm. Uh, bigger problems with it because it's like other things; mm-hmm. it's very dose respondent meaning the higher amount you expose yourself to, and the longer you expose yourself to it, mm-hmm. the more problems you're going to get out of it.
1: Okay, and uh, and I know that twelve-step uh, programs and things like that can be very, very successful. and And what's your uh, what's your view on those? What 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 is your view on on the other forms of treatment right now, as far as even just alcoholism or anything like that?
2: Yeah, as as as. As crude as it is, our current treatment system, including the 12-step processes, there's marijuana anonymous processes. And as including those, we still get as, as good as or better treatment outcomes as we get from treating hypertension, heart disease, uh, high blood pressure, um, Any other conditions. So Mm -hmm. we're still doing good, but we need to do better. And that's why we're trying to promote more and more developments there's more medications in development to treat addiction than any other medical condition because of Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that we know more about it. But we need to actually continue to promote more of that because we need to improve our treatments, have more Mm -hmm. people have better chance of positive outcomes in life.
1: Yeah. What do you think of vaping? What's your take on that?
2: Vaping is, is, if it's done right, uh, it, it's, it's, more mm-hmm. practi- it's, a, it's a healthier way of doing it than smoking. When you actually mm-hmm. burn marijuana, you're combusting it, and the combustion process is going to create uh, about 2,000 more drugs. By vaping it, you're just heating it to a temperature that's going to change the THC, the, the chemical in marijuana, into mm-hmm. a vapor like steam mm-hmm. that you can take deep into your lungs, and it, it doesn't have any of those too many of those destructive chemicals that are produced from the combustion process, so that's a much more practical way of doing it. Uh, <clears throat> so, so if, you know you had a choice, so I would consider right. vaping it much more uh, much a better process than actually w- smoking it.
1: Would we be surprised at how much addiction actually changes our brains? Would we be surprised if we saw scan Well, that's, that's uh, you're
2: talking, I think in the break you're talking about Dr. Daniel Heyman uh-huh. Yes. And I think that's one great thing that has contributed to our understanding of addiction, mm-hmm. although it still remains controversy as to mm-hmm. what he actually is seeing in his brain scan. It's called a SPEC scans, a mm-hmm. uh, single positron emission technology. But the minimum thing he shows with his brain scan is the tremendous difference that occurs in the brain that is addicted or the addicted brain. How that differs dramatically from somebody who is not addicted to drugs, and the and the difference is also as you mentioned, just mentioned. It's one mm-hmm. of the things that I show clients to help them start to accept that they have a condition. They have a medical condition. They need something to do about. It's harder to argue with uh, brain scans like that than it is to argue about what you're doing and how your behavior is reacting right. to. Right. So that it's a real powerful lesson. I I think uh, his scans are yeah. help a lot in the field. He, he and I think they're it's worthy of. Actually, mm-hmm. looking more into that for treatment programs. I wish we had a scan, or we had the money, so <laughs> we could scan everybody in treatment, right. residential treatment, every minute or so, or mm-hmm. every week, and so we can they can judge where mm-hmm. they're at, just like you would judge a diabetic by pricking their finger, sure, and looking sure. at their blood every year. Well, That's, thank we want you. The same thing for addicts.
1: Dr. Daryl Anaba, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show and the book is Uppers and Downers, Uppers and Downers, it was and All really uh, Arounders. Yes, absolutely I enjoyed having Dave you. And
2: Kate Thank, you. thank I was, you. I was really impressed by your show, and it's really a privilege to be on it. Thank,
1: thank you. you so thank much. You. Everybody have a great. Thank you so much. Everybody have a great Friday, and of course, be faithful, be fearless, and uh, we'll see you back here on Monday.
0: It's March. And the real madness is at Steven Wade Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram and Fiat during Ram Truck Month. Crazy discounts on Ram trucks. Get twenty